This is the Addiction Recovery Podcast with Stephen T. Ginsberg, founder of Restore Detox Centers in sunny California. Enjoy your experience. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction Recovery. My name is Steve Coffrin. I'm here with Stephen Ginsberg. Welcome to the show. Stephen, how are you doing today? I am blessed and excited for us to forge ahead with another episode. Yeah. So last time we did an episode about understanding addiction, you shared your story, which was incredible. It's just always so inspiring to hear somebody hit rock bottom, come out of it, and then you hit rock bottom again, and then you came out of it again. And now you have these resources in place. You have this addiction recovery center in Poway, California, and you're able to bless the lives of so many people every single day. I, I think that's such a remarkable story. And it, it, I mean, it gives me like goosebumps just talking to you. I, I'm blessed that that has been my journey. And what I love even more is that we're participating together and providing information that lends itself to the solution to something that is harrowing and often fatal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and we've talked about that before where, you know, sometimes we're, we're working so hard, we're putting all these hours in, we're working early in the morning, late into the evening. And, you know, I, I know some of our previous conversations have been like, okay, we have to push this work forward because unlike other industries, and this isn't a poo-poo on any other industry, but there, there's some businesses where it's like, okay, if you put work aside or you just slow play certain initiatives, like eventually the work will get done and customers will be happy and it'll be fine. But like in this line of work, when we're not re- getting out there and reaching people, people die. People die. That is so spot on. That's where there's such a sense of urgency on a day-to-day basis. And, and you've seen that firsthand. Uh, we are talking about something that is absolutely fatal, not not if, it's a matter of when. And and I'm fighting, I tell you this all the time because you're so involved in, in this calling, Steve, and I appreciate that. I am fighting to save lives. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, in the last episode, we talked about some statistics out there and the scary one, you know, 150 people every single day in the US, that's a, a plane full of people die from just fentanyl. I mean, let alone other things like, cocaine and crack and, you know, acid and all these other drugs out there. I mean, that's just, that's just fentanyl, not including alcohol and everything else. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So there is a sense of urgency. And let me ask you this, because today we're talking about how do you know if someone's an addict when you were 19 years old, we talked about this in episode one. And if you haven't listened to that one, definitely go back and listen to episode one, but you're sharing your story about you know, you're smoking weed, you're drinking at the age of 15, it progresses. And then finally at 19, you're like, okay, I need to get some help. Like I I'm, I'm hitting rock bottom. But at what point in that journey, Steven, did you realize maybe I'm an addict? Sure. I, I think where, where I was seeing, and, and this is certainly part of the pattern where I was starting to see that I didn't want to have a day go by and I really couldn't have a day go by where I wasn't using, especially, you know, marijuana brought me to my knees and people will oftentimes make light of marijuana, but marijuana use became a chronic daily, all day, all night part of my life. And that is not anything that leads to productivity. So when I saw early on, this was in my teen years, that I wasn't going to go through a day without getting high. I knew that there was something, I knew there was something wrong and I knew it wasn't going to go away and I was just living amongst it and with it. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I was too. I, I mean, when I was younger, I started out by chewing, right? As So I was wrestling, I was playing sports. So 
you know, that kept me away from smoking pot or getting wasted because I had practice and I wanted to be miserable the next day, you know, running with a hangover. So that, that kept me clean, but I started chewing and then I became extremely addicted to tobacco. Like I could not break the habit. I mean, I'd try all different types of things. I'd write up resolutions, like a constitution to myself. Okay. I'm not going to do this. And if I do, I even like listed out punishments like, Oh, I won't have sweets for like a week or whatever it was, something ridiculous. And then I got into smoking cigarettes and I couldn't break that. And then it got into smoking weed and, and doing these other things. And, you know, same kind of thing where I realize, okay, I have a problem is when I'm getting on, you know, my shoes and socks at, you know, midnight to drive to the convenience store because I have one cigarette left and, you know, God forbid I wake up in the morning and I have an empty pack of cigarettes. How am I going to survive? Or when it's like, okay, I'm calling all my friends. I'm doing all these sketchy things to try to score some weed, you know? So that's when I realized, okay, maybe there's a problem here. What are your thoughts on that? I couldn't agree more. I was literally in group today talking about the fact that I would go to any length to get my drugs. And there's nothing funny or comical about this, but I was driving in some of the most absurd, dangerous neighborhoods in the world. My second time around in the midst of my relapse to get cocaine and the people I was getting it from literally looked at me like I had six heads, like they could not believe I was driving into those neighborhoods. And it turned out the guy who was my drug dealer was up on a murder charge. Well, like I said, he was always nice to me. But but he he couldn't believe I was coming into the neighborhood. And it's that type of risky behavior. It's that type of a drive. It's that type of of the that that confine of the ism where you see that unmanageability rear its head and where you're you're endangering yourself and others with these patterns of behavior. And that's when you realize this isn't recreational. This isn't some sort of a luxury line item. This is real addiction and real alcoholism. So, I mean, let's talk about your second relapse though. So you went 12 years without touching drugs or alcohol and you're successful in your career. Things are going well for you. And then my understanding is that somebody said, Hey, Steven, you know, have this pill or whatever. And that's really what started the relapse. Is that true? That's exactly correct. It's, you know, sobriety is defined by, by abstinence from any mind altering substance. And I took a, a pain pill without having any pain, which meant I was in relapse mode. And I knew that. And I knew my sobriety was gone. And being that I suffer from that allergy, I have an allergy to mind-altering substances and to alcohol, which is a mind-altering substance. The minute I triggered that allergy by ingesting a substance, I was off and running. And I was going to get my money's worth. And I did. And I had a really violent and vile relapse. I was back out there for four and a half years. But I mean, did you know at the time or were you like, I can handle it. I'm super responsible at work. I'm a disciplined person. I know you're a disciplined person. You're like type A in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. Did you think to yourself, look, it's just a pain pill. It's no big deal. And even if I get into drugs here and there or try some alcohol, like I'm good, I'm responsible. Like I can handle it. I mean, was that going through your mind or were you like, screw it? You know, I, I did this and and now I'm just going to go for it. It was go. It was go time. I, I, I had way too many resources. I was very headstrong. That type A plus element of my personality was not being siphoned in the right direction. And once I took that pill and I knew I was no longer sober, I was like, I am going to go and do my thing. And that's, that's what my illness was waiting for. And that's what people who are like me, 
when they have those moments or that's why that's why people in recovery aren't going to do well having a glass of wine because they're not going to have a glass of wine. They're going to have three bottles of wine and they're going to go back to whatever their drug of choice is. Uh, there isn't any middle area. There isn't any gray area. It's a black and white issue. Uh, it either is or it isn't. And that's why the only thing that works to arrest the condition and to create the remission is abstinence from any mind-altering substances. But I mean, how does somebody know if they're an addict? I mean, what if somebody argues, Stephen, and they say, look, I go home at night, I have a glass of wine with dinner, and then maybe I have another glass of wine sitting out in the backyard by the fire pit. Like, what's the big deal? I'm not an addict. It's not like I'm getting wasted. I I would agree with that. I still have a job. I've been doing it for 10 years. I'm not an addict. What would you say to that? I think most likely with that person, I would agree. If there, I would want to know, like, is there unmanageability in your life because of your two glasses of wine? Are you isolating in your life because of your two glasses of wine? Are you having the first glass of wine in front of your loved ones and having the second one in the bathroom behind the shower curtain with the water running? What is your method? What is it you're participating in? What are you missing in your, what is the wine where I'm following your analogy, Stephen, and I like it. What are those two glasses of wine causing you to miss? everything. Okay. We've got an issue. Nothing. Okay. There is no issue. And I, I'm not here to call out the world. The world is addicts and alcoholics because I am. That's not the case. What I'm here is to face the reality and the reality of how dangerous denial is. This is an illness. It's a progressive illness. Society is being marketed to. Our children are being vigilantly pursued by the tobacco company, by the drug industry, by the alcohol industry. Uh, the base ingredient of alcohol is a drug, ethanol, and we are living in dangerous times. And it's reality that will keep us safe, and it's reality that will keep families together. Yeah, absolutely, I, and I love that, and I love just you know facing it head on. So I was talking to my mom recently, and she was telling me about one of her friends, and you know they had the the perfect family. You know, all the kids were put together. You know, their hair is combed nicely. They're all, you know, their collars are starched and ironed all, you know, perfectly. And they, they're showing up to, to church and Sunday school all put together. And everybody's like doting on them thinking, wow, this is like the greatest family out there. They really have their stuff together. And in fact, some people are kind of jealous. They're like, dang, you know, our family is definitely not as great as this family. They get, they have it all together. Well, time goes on in this perfect little family. I'm doing air quotes here. I wish you could see my fingers. But this air quote, perfect family, the the mother realized and found out that her son was a full-blown alcoholic right under their roof, their teenage son. They, they had no clue. You know, Steve, there's a saying I love. I love it because it's it's remarkably relevant and so accurate. And the saying is very simple. We're only as sick as our secrets. And if there is addiction and alcoholism in anyone's water, if it's streamlining through their family, it, it is only a matter of time. It is going to come out and it's going to come out in the most remarkable way. And it's going to be harrowing at best. And then we can only hope and pray that people are alive behind that. And, and many, many times it all looks great on social media. It all looks great in the holiday cards. It all looks great on paper, but the truth will always rear its ugly head. And the truth will also save us and set us free. Absolutely. So let's talk about that further. You know, you said our secrets make me make us sick. So when it comes mm-hmm. to identifying addiction, 
what are some of the key behavioral or physical signs you, you talked about like this isolation and other things previously, but are, are there mm-hmm. like telltale signs that individuals yes. or parents should be aware of and how, how can you identify these? So just generally individuals, parents, contemporaries, friends, just across the board, you know, if people are having a hard time making it to commitments they have, if people are having a hard time participating in activities that are a quote unquote normal part of their life, if people are having issues keeping a job or getting a job or holding a job, if people are having erratic and volatile behavior patterns, sleeplessness or sleeping completely day in and day out or showing signs of depression, these all can be telltale signs of addiction and or addiction and alcoholism. It manifests itself in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. But the important part is that people are willing to not ignore what's being presented to them and that people are willing to take a realistic look at what they're seeing and what's being displayed and then being willing to ask the hard questions uh, without fear, but boldly with the idea in mind that they can save someone from themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So let let me wrap with this. Let me ask you this one last question. This has been such a fantastic episode. What role can friends and family or loved ones play in helping to identify and address addiction? And and hold on, let me, you're going to notice my questions have like 10 parts. So you just answer what you you can. So what role do they have? But then also, you know, to be the the devil's advocate, I mean, isn't there a time to like mind your own business as a friend and like, it's like, okay, who are you to judge? You're judging me. You're, you're saying I'm an addict cause I drink, you know, on the weekends and yeah, maybe I get a little crazy, but I'm not an addict. So somebody may be worried that their friend is saying that or thinking that, and they don't want to lose their friend or they don't want to be judgy or they don't want to like step over the line. Like what is somebody's role and responsibility when it comes to, you know, helping somebody or calling out somebody who may have early signs of addiction or they may be full-blown addicts? Listen, I think I think it's a great question and, and all the parts lead to the same result and the same thing. If I am sitting there, I'm, I'm making this for myself and there's someone in my life that I love or someone I know or someone, you know, many times I meet professionals And they're like, my wife sent me to you to figure out if I'm an alcoholic. What do you think? I'm like, I don't know. Let's order coffee. We've been together five minutes. If if you find yourself in space where you need to provide something or some information or some desire to protect someone from themselves, there is an issue. And the issue often can lend itself to addiction and or addiction and alcoholism that for the moment is untreated. And, And that is... That it comes along with unmanageability in individuals' lives. If you see a, someone who has unmanageability in their life and the common denominator is some substance use or abuse, you are on the right track in the assertion. And let's not get too hung up or too worried about being judgy. If we are on the side of caution or if an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and someone we love is kept out of harm's way, we are in great space to be judgy and to be actually worrisome or bothersome or intrusive. It's because we love them. And sometimes we love people more than they love themselves at that moment. Hmm. I love that. You know, such a great response to that. And, and yeah, sometimes 
you know, we have to get over ourselves to save other people. And, and I, I think you, you really drove home that point. So Stephen, another great episode. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing your insights and your expertise in this area. I mean, I, I learned so much from this. So I imagine just the entire world is out there um, really soaking this in. Well, Steve, thank you for your part. I, I love talking about this. I love when we bring power to the solution through the truth. And I just invite everyone, be safe, be sober, and understand there's hope and there's always a solution. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. If you want to reach out, provide feedback. If you have any questions, you could always reach out to us at hello at restoredetoxcenters.com. We'd love to get your feedback and just to connect with you. And until next episode, uh, have a great week and take care of yourself.